Whether you operate one forklift or thousands, one location or hundreds, the new My Toyota customer portal can help you optimize your operation and material handling equipment. This one-stop, free-to-use platform is designed to help you take control of your information and make smarter decisions, all at the touch of a button. Register and access your data today at my.toyotaforklift.com. That's my.toyotaforklift.com. Hi, this is Peter Lewis of Wharton Equity Partners, and you're listening to the New Warehouse Podcast. Today's safety tip, and I speak from experience, is be careful going in and out of parking lots within warehouses. There's a lot of traffic that may be unseen going around trucks and otherwise, and being alert at all times in all directions is really critical. With e-commerce off the charts, many small and growing warehouses are asking, how can I get ahead when my warehouse is barely keeping up? The answer is future-ready warehouse tech from Zebra Technologies. Warehouses can simplify and upgrade all processes, from automated inventory management to hands-free picking with Zebra's tailored, scalable mobile solutions. They're simple and intuitive. There's never been a better time to upgrade for success with Zebra. How can your warehouse get ahead? The answer's in black and white. Get the answers at zebra.com slash the answer. That's zebra.com slash the answer. Fulfillment demand continues to skyrocket and outpace available labor. To keep up, warehouse operators are turning to flexible fulfillment solutions like Six River Systems. Utilizing Six River Systems' award-winning combination of collaborative robots, artificial intelligence, and operational expertise will make your associates and wall-to-wall fulfillment workflow more efficient. No new infrastructure, no change to warehouse layout, easy to deploy and scale, easy to train and retain associates, all at half the cost of traditional automation. Want to take your fulfillment operation to the next level? Go to www.sixriver.com to learn more. That's www.sixriver.com to learn more. How do you create warehouse superheroes? The answer is simple. With visual voice scan solutions from ProCensus. With record demand and labor shortages, warehouses need more effective workers and lightning fast onboarding. Visual voice scan solutions from ProCensus enable warehouse workers to achieve superhero performance with up to 20% improved productivity and up to 99% accuracy. Hands-free barcode scanners from ProGlove paired with wearable mobile computers is just the beginning. Improved mobile interfaces with reduced keystrokes, easy-to-read screens, custom keyboards, voice-enabled interface, and more can be realized with ease on the leading WMS platforms. Sound too good to be true? Let us show you with our one-of-a-kind virtual demo. Visit ProCensus.com to get started today. Again, that's ProCensus.com to get started. The New Warehouse Podcast, hosted by Kevin Lawton, is your source for insights and ideas from the distribution, transportation, and logistics industry. A new episode every Monday morning brings you the latest from industry experts and thought leaders. And now, here's Kevin. Hey, it's Kevin Lawton of the New Warehouse Podcast with a new episode today. 
On today's episode, I am going to be joined by Peter Lewis. He is the chairman and president of Wharton Equity Partners. And Wharton Equity Partners is an investment company, and they're investing primarily in industrial real estate, but they've also gotten into the warehousing side of things, not only from a real estate perspective, but also from a technology perspective and micro-fulfillment perspective. So we're going to talk to Peter today a little bit about his experience working with industrial properties, how he has seen them develop developing over time, specifically kind of in the warehouse space, and then also talk a little bit about recent investment in a company called Fabric, which is focused on micro-fulfillment, which is something that is certainly kind of changing the landscape a little bit in commercial real estate. So we're going to dig a little deeper into that, and we're going to welcome Peter on the show. So Peter, welcome to the show. How are you? Kevin, thanks so much for having me. This is really exciting. Definitely happy to have you on. You know, I would say having someone from a kind of a equity company, investment company, is a, not the typical guest, but the the space that you're you're getting into and, and just recently got into it is certainly something that I want to discuss with you. So, so I guess let, let's start out in the beginning. You know, what what really is Wharton Equity Partners, and how did you kind of get this started? Wharton Equity Partners is a firm which I founded in 1987. Mm-hmm. And it is a investor and developer of real estate. Uh, over over the course of my career, we have been involved with essentially every product type. The hallmark, I think, of my firm as I look back on 35 years is that we've been able to shift our strategy throughout this period of time, mm. always kind of gravitating towards what we see as new ideas Concepts like we were early pioneers in the self-storage business. Today, okay. self-storage is obviously a big business. And, and so we are, uh, the, the kind of the DNA of the firm is to be forward-thinking. And then once we decide on a, on a strategy, we, we make very big investments mm. in, in what we do. We were early after the downturn and in about 2012 or so, we started buying Southeast value-add apartment buildings before anyone else really started getting into that space. And we accumulated a portfolio of some 7,000 units. And then around 2016 or so, Kevin, what happened was I started really seeing what I believe would be one of the greatest changes in in my lifetime, which was e-commerce. And this is way before COVID, obviously. And I I just had an instinct that said, e-commerce is going to change the industrial business 180 degrees, yeah, if not more. And so I wound up selling all our residential, seven, almost $500 million worth of properties wow. and completely changed the focus of the firm to industrial. So in 2017, my team changed its gears and, and started uh, investing in industrial properties. And we started building big box warehouses uh, in the Southeast. That was our initial foray into the industry. We built a million square foot warehouse on spec, so with no tenant in place, yeah. in Atlanta. And during the uh, construction process, we were fortunate to have uh, Phil Van Usen take the whole building. And, mm. and, and since that time, we've marched on and built other buildings. One building we built was a 600,000 square feet in, in central Florida in an area called Ocala, yeah. where we uh, landed Amazon for the whole building. And we've had a variety of successes along the way. And then in the last couple of years, we started focusing on what's called last mile facilities. And I'll explain that more because it's been thrown around very loosely. But along the east coast of the United States, 
and have amassed a pretty large portfolio of buildings from the like Philadelphia area up through Boston. And mm. we, we are firm believers, and I know that you have the same sentiment about this, that in order to get goods into people's hands faster and faster, you need to be physically located closer and closer to the population. So there, there is this driving interest and need. Amazon actually forced everyone's hand, but it's yeah. not. It's not just one. It's not just one day anymore. It's it's almost same hour or a few hours where where people are seeking, you know, their goods delivered. Mm. So the only way for these companies to do that is to be be near them. And so we are very focused, as you mentioned, on these types of facilities. Mm. And we, we'll talk a little bit more about that along our journey tonight. Okay, very interesting. And, and an incredible pivot, I would say, in unloading uh, half a billion dollars in investments in um, residential and, and then moving mm-hmm. over to industrial property. So, yeah. so I, I'm curious, you know, with such a, a big move like that, what was mm-hmm. like the real final thing that, that triggered you to say like, okay, let's pull the trigger. Let's, let's make this big move. Uh-huh. Well, I, I, w- I would say glibly when my father started buying stuff on Amazon, he, he's nine years old. I said, oh, my God, we are we are doomed. Um, I, I, you know, it's so funny because I get asked this question often mm. for obvious reasons. Yeah. And I, my, my career has been built on assimilating information and then something instinctually just takes over. And I can't tell you 100% why. It wasn't like I went to a factory and said, this is, I can't believe this. It's, it's just an important thing to understand also, which we're going to weave into this discussion, mm. is that we are active venture capital investors. Yeah. So we look at the world through a variety of lenses, almost, I would say, four-dimensional. And so it, what, what, what drove me here was some familiarity around technology and what was mm. happening in that space. And so I, I think the combination of just empirically understanding the, the, the penetration rate, if you will, of the, the mounting amount of goods that are being bought online and, and, and you know, coupled with our understanding of the kind of technologies around that, mm. basically, I, I just said, this is, this is only going in one direction. Once someone takes getting goods delivered in a day, mm. they're, they're never going back and accepting four days. You know Absolutely. what I'm saying? It's, it's, yeah. yeah. So, so, and I knew that you know, unless you could start 3D printing bananas in your apartment, <laughs> you, you know, it has to physically get into your hands, right? Mm. So, I guess all those factors subliminally came to me, and I said, "Guys, we're doing this, and that's it." And I am really happy we made the move. Yeah, I bet. I mean, it's a great space to be in, and obviously, the the growth is just never ending at this point. I it's mean, even- never ending. Yeah, with yep. the e-commerce spikes, I mean, you know, you mentioned back in 2016, I mean, look where we're at now with e-commerce just in the last year with everybody at yep. home having to order, right? So yep. very, very interesting. And I, I'm curious, you know, with that that pivot and over, you know, the, the couple of years that you're, you've been involved in this space, I think you said around 2016 you started. So, you know, what have you seen in terms of changes in the warehousing space? I mean, you mentioned mm-hmm. there a million square foot building you did, I think 600,000 you said. Um, mm-hmm. Are you still seeing that like the, these massive warehouses oh, are yeah. the trend or are we getting smaller? No, we're getting closer. No. What do you think? No, no, no. The supply chain mm-hmm. is being changed, but you're still, you'll, you'll always see these really big warehouses mm. 
And then as you get closer to the population, they get smaller for a variety of reasons. The most important one is just the scarcity of land. Right. But there's, there's a role for both the big box and the last mile in in the supply chain. I think I think some of the changes that we're seeing right now, first of all, on the big box side, ceiling heights are going up. They, mm. they, they've been 32, 36. Now they're going up to 40 right. foot high. And that's to accommodate, obviously, more volume. Mm. Uh, we're, we're also starting to see, and, and this is really interesting as it relates to a building that we bought and renovated in South Philadelphia, which was an old subway repair facility. Uh, that we completely redid. And it, the building had a lot of power because it was a place where subways came in and the guys worked on, on these, you know, the subway cars. Yeah. But, we, but we're seeing more and more emphasis on electricity going forward because of electric cars. Mm. And in this particular situation, the building in Philadelphia, we actually got Amazon uh, to take the whole building. So 280,000 square foot building, which we converted into a real state-of-the-art warehouse, yeah. Amazon took the building. But what was interesting about what Amazon was doing is they're actually parking probably 100 electric Sprinter vans inside the building, and they, and they all have charging stations. Inside, interesting. So inside the building. Mm. So what happens is now in the wintertime, one part of the building, the goods come into the building, mm. they move them over to the trucks, they stuff the trucks full of goods, and the drivers jump in and they go out in their way and get delivered around the city. Mm. So... But you're, but you, you could see if you if you've read the press recently, Amazon's making a big push. They just took a position in a in an electric car a, a, a kind of truck company. Yeah. So I think some of the big changes ahead are going to be accommodating electric vehicles. I think you're going to see also a a real push in the next few years on driverless trucks. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, there was an article today. I think it was in the New York Times on uh, UPS. Working on on, on this this, this uh, holiday season, okay. having some 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 driverless trucks running uh, down in Texas, and so I, I think more of that. And obviously, I'm a big believer in automation. I think we're in the early innings of automation. Mm-hmm. There are some some big players already. Uh, Kroger, for example, is automating a lot of big warehouses with a firm called Ocado out of the UK. Okay. But I think you're going to see more mainstream, and this touches a little bit on the company we invested in, which we can talk about. Mm. But I think that what's going to happen over time, that the kind of the, the rudimentary tasks inside warehouses are going to become robotic. And and interestingly enough, you know, COVID, COVID was a big impetus for lots and lots of things. I mean, besides Zoom, mm. uh, COVID <laughs> ignited companies to make decisions quicker, right? Many companies didn't have a well-thought-out e-commerce plan or omnichannel plan. And now all of a sudden they were forced to do it. The same thing's going to happen and is happening with, with the issue they're having around the shortage of labor. Yeah. So guys are needing some solution here. And, and they also want to get goods faster and, and you know, less expensively. And, and that's all going to point towards automation. And automation is becoming better and better because of artificial intelligence. So it, it, as artificial intelligence and moves in tandem with uh, and machine learning with automation, you're going to see these infiltrate more and more into uh, the warehouse supply chain, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I agree. I mean, I think, you know, you hit 
the nail on the head there, kind of where you're saying is, you know, we're running into these issues where, you know, it's pushing the technology forward faster than a lot of companies imagined. And I had someone on the podcast last week and, you know, they were talking about a lot of people's 2030 plans basically became their 2020 plans in terms of technology. That's right. And I think That's correct. And I think that push is is just going to continue, especially as you're talking about, you know, we're getting more into the by the hour delivery instead of yeah. by the day delivery. So, yeah. so on that side of things, you know, when we look at transitioning from by the day kind of delivery to by the hour, you mentioned you're on the venture, venture capital arm as well. Mm-hmm. So you guys recently invested in, in this company called Fabric, which, which is focused on micro fulfillment. So tell us a little bit about Fabric and then kind of give into why why did you see the potential there and why why did you invest we'll be back after a quick break you hear a lot about supply chains these days because if the past couple years have taught us anything it's that an efficient well-managed supply chain is absolutely critical to keeping businesses successful and consumers happy i'm will haywood and i host a podcast called all business no boundaries where we talk about supply chains how they work what happens when they don't and the innovations that are redefining what's possible in the world of logistics. Join me for insightful interviews with thought leaders and industry experts. We discuss how optimizing supply chains can break down the barriers that are holding businesses back. That's All Business, No Boundaries by DHL Supply Chain. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. So we were exposed to fabric probably about four years ago. They were formed out of Israel. I got introduced to them through a friend. We we started to look at what they were doing, and the conversation started becoming more around. Okay, guys, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you in a second what they do. But mm-hmm. how do we join forces? We we are real estate guys. We can build or redevelop micro fulfillment centers, which are small warehouses, generally let's say ten to forty thousand feet located right on top of cities. So mm. think about Queens, Brooklyn, in, in, you know, in our market. Right. And what, what Fabric is focused on is completely automating these warehouses. So there are only a few people in them, mm-hmm. and it's all robots, and it's all run by artificial intelligence. So, so we had a conversation, a number of conversations with the real estate guys about how do we start working together. Mm. And I got, to, I got to know the company. As a matter of fact, I was happened to be in Israel on, on, a, on a trip and I went to see one of the facilities they had that's up and running okay. under a mall in, in Tel Aviv. And it was, I, when I walked in the room and I saw this, I said, this is the future. Mm. This is, this is, there's no two ways about it. So Fabric just opened a smallish facility in Brooklyn, about 10,000 feet. Mm. And they have a major health and beauty company as one of their clients there which is using the location to distribute goods out to all the beauty parlors in the tri-state area. And so we, we see that, again, robotics, particularly around these micro-fulfillment centers, are, is, is in the first inning. And we had the opportunity to invest in the Series C round. I was talking to the president, and he mentioned they were going after money, and I told him, well, I know everything about you guys. We want to be an investor. So... We, we made a big investment in the company along with some other big guys that raised $200 million at a billion-dollar valuation. Wow. And then recently, this is public information, mm-hmm. they signed a, a large deal with Instacart. And now they're going to be working with Instacart and all their grocery clients mm-hmm. on, on building and or retrofitting dark grocery stores, you know, which are 
which are grocery stores that only have outbound traffic right. and, and not retail. And which, again, is another trend, by the way, that's going to be popping up. You're seeing it with restaurants called mm-hmm. Dark Kitchens, where, where what's happening is because of e-commerce, and I would consider like food ordering restaurants mm-hmm. e-commerce related, because you go online and you just click and the Chinese food comes to you. Yeah. But what, what's happened now, because of the proliferation of, of that side of the business for restaurants and also for groceries, is that the, there, there hasn't been a solution that, that really works in the past because what's happening now, as you probably know, with, with guys like Uber Eats and Instacart, is they, they, they handpick the goods inside the regular retail store. Mm. So they're elbowing out you know, the, the, the 80-year-old grandmother for, for a banana. And, and it's really not great for the store as far as maintaining the type of climate they want for user-friendly uh, interface with their retail customers. Mm. So these places are getting smarter and what they're doing is they're creating separate warehouses or separate stores where that store is only uh, going to be deliveries. And so they'll stock it in the morning if it's fresh produce or whatever, and the goods will be picked and packed from inside that store and then delivered by Instacart or someone else to the, to the customer. Mm-hmm. And, and so you're going to see these types of warehouses become automated and uh, you know, kind of reduce the risk or, or you know, around trying to find labor. And there's a number of, of initiatives already that the company is working on. Some are public. They're, they're working with Walmart on, on some properties on a, on a beta basis. Okay. It's just it's kind of part and parcel of my thoughts mm. about industrial being so interesting across so many different ways. And, and as, a, as an experienced investor, in the other asset classes, we've owned hotels, office buildings, residential. Mm. The you, you can't really think about those asset classes having any type of force like this that's changing the way they exist. Right? I mean, like in office, what I mean, yeah, yeah, you make your office building a little bit more efficient because you can have better controls over how you you run the the air conditioning and the heating, or mm. like you know, there's like little things you can do. But tell me anything that is so. So out of date, mm. you know, with the current world, I, I almost feel at times that we are, we are just, we still are just at that inflection point between horses and automobiles when it comes to industrial. Right. And, and while, while industrial today has become the hot topic, people don't even understand yet, in my opinion, over the next 10 years, what you see today in industrial, you will not, it'll be a completely different business, the real estate included, over the next 10 years. Very interesting points. Yeah. I mean, I think you're right. I mean, I think in the industrial space and in the warehousing space too, I mean, we're, we're not really at the same level that I think we are in like our, our personal lives on a, on a technology standpoint. It hasn't fully made that transition. I think a lot of companies are, are resistant to that, that change on their little scared of going into these things, fully automated and robotics and those things. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, to kind of bring up your, your earlier point, you know, at some point it, they're going to have to, it's not going to be a choice anymore in order well, to keep up and, and survive. I yeah, think you're going to have to do it. That's right. 100%. Because what's going to happen, nothing motivates a firm to do something if their if competitor's doing it. Right. And once a competitor starts doing it and they have a little edge, the other guys are going to have to fall on board. So, you know, I, I, what, what's also kind of fascinating here is 
the future of and Facebook has obviously made a big bet on this now with what's called the metaverse. Mm-hmm. But you know, augmented reality, virtual reality uh, is going to become more and more mainstream as as the younger generation kind of takes hold uh, into their earning years, mm-hmm. and and devices become easier to wear or use. And we will absolutely uh, kind of move into a world where good, where you can walk into a Bloomingdale's. Mm-hmm. And, and walk down the aisle and try on a suit with a virtual salesperson who already has your measurements and, and you'll, and you'll, you'll order with a click right there and, and you'll have to be customized and you'll have it in the next day or two. Maybe yeah, yeah, something like that. But, but the point of the matter is mm-hmm. what this all, what this all points to is more e-commerce, right? More, more stuff that's going to be done virtually mm-hmm. than, than we have today. People will still go to stores just like they still go to movies for the social experience. They want to meet a salesperson who's educated. They want to see the goods, but I could see more and more of them being more showrooms with, with, with a little limited inventory where like kind of what Bonobos did a number of years ago, Mm. they made a decision not to have any inventory in their stores. I think that kind of model works where you'll, you'll, you can try on virtually or otherwise. And when you get home, the package will be there if it's you know something that can be you know, quickly delivered or if it has to be made maybe a few days later. Right. So all this, everything, this is why when I think about industrial, I keep thinking that we're early because technology is just starting to take shape that affects the whole e-commerce sphere. Mm-hmm. And as that continues to metamorphosize, so is the, the various needs that are going to be driven driven around warehousing, industrial supply chains, you know, and the rest of it. So, I've been doing this a long time, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't, I there's no, there's never been anything in my career that has been so impactful. And again, I'm so excited about where the future is because it's it's not going to be what it looks like today for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think just, you know, I've been doing this podcast for close to three years now and it's really kind of exposed me to a lot more of what's going on in technology space and just the mm-hmm. warehousing space in general. And, and just in those three years, seeing the the rapid growth from looking at when I first started, I went to, to Promat in Chicago and saw some of the technology that was going on there, but it was very much seemed a more conceptual side and now going to recent modex and other trade shows i mean it, it's no longer conceptual i mean this is reality this is what's what's here there's these robotics and, and automation and all those things so so it is certainly uh rapidly growing and i think the pandemic has, has pushed it even further so so aside from the technology standpoint I, i'm curious um since you know you have so much experience in, in real estate what what is, what has kind of been the result of the pandemic on on the industrial real estate? And we're talking about micro fulfillment. So I'm curious. You know, a lot of brick and mortar retail fronts have kind of gone vacant in a sense because people were not visiting. So so mm-hmm. are, do you see those being switched over to micro fulfillment centers and different types of yeah. distribution points? Yeah. So I think there's going to be some real estate that that will be taken over mm-hmm. by micro-fulfillment, okay. like some of the retail you're talking about. But I'm not convinced yet that physical retail is necessarily a, a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. What, what happened 
with physical real estate, let's take New York City, for example. Mm-hmm. Landlords got increasingly overzealous and and ran way ahead on their rent increases. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it, it started pricing out and, and, and not making tenants business viable because mm-hmm. rents became too, too much of, of an expense. And as soon as the world changed, the tenants didn't have any room to, to survive. So what's going to happen in New York City, for example, is you're just going to see a repricing again of this retail. But I do believe over the next couple of years in New York City, as, and I'm not talking about the suburbs, but New York City in particular, you're going to see a rebound much faster than people predict because people still want to walk around the streets. It's part of the fabric of, of what makes New York so terrific right. and, and, and a lot of the major cities. Now, where I think retail is is a problem is when it started growing out in the suburbs and it became endless amount of strip centers or, you know, some of these, some of these kind of big box developments with no personality, you know, a generic kind of product that you can buy online. Uh, so this, 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 what happened is the amount of retail and we are, the, we have the most retail per square foot, I believe than anyone in the world, it, you know, and, and that's just, it, it, it's manifesting itself in the surplus of, re, of, of kind of retail. Yeah. Uh, also, as as you can appreciate, when you you know when you go out to let's say the middle of the country, there are there are markets that are struggling. People are leaving those markets or otherwise. What you're seeing is a number of these actually be converted into distribution centers. And they're, they're usually located at the major intersections of highways. Mm-hmm. They, there's a lot of land associated with these things. And in some of these communities, the, the, the municipality is, itself is behind that conversion because they want the revenues, tax revenues. Now, you're not going to see the same kind of reception if you were in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, mm-hmm. and, and a mall went under there. I can promise you that a distribution center is not going to take place where a mall was because in, in those kind of markets, you have a lot of residential around there and, and people do not want to have trucks driving through their living room. But I, I think what's going to happen over the next number of years is you're going to see a repurposing and shrinking of the kind of generic overbuilt retail. Mm. Uh, and when I say generic, there's no real reason for a store to exist in, you know, in, in, in the size footprint that they have currently. To sell a T-shirt that you can buy live. Now, if you have a unique brand, if you're Ralph Lauren and you want to go in there and see it, maybe, or you know, other types of stuff. But I, I do think that, and again, with virtual reality, I think that's going to even make it, you know, more more enticing to continue to sit at your desk and buy stuff. So we're in we're in this kind of transition phase, the yesterday world to today's world. And, and retail is obviously you know, going through a significant amount of change, but do not write it off. I think that's a, a mistake. So even though we're very, very focused on industrial, if I saw a really good infill strip center that maybe was anchored by a grocery store and had service-based kind of tenants in there, shoe guys, pizza guys, otherwise, and it was a mesh inside, inside the fabric of a, of a dense community, I love that stuff. I mean, I'd be buying that all day long. Mm. You know what I mean? So, but this is, this is all in the aftermath of the pandemic. What, what you're seeing is a tremendous amount of vacancies in these 
a secondary retail location, and they they will not come back so fast. And, and, and rightfully so, by the way. This is just the way it works in life. You know, the survival of the fittest theory. Ultimately, over time, like, like a forest fire, things get burnt down. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, green shoots come up again and they're stronger and right. they grow yeah. better. And, right? So we're in that period now where we, we had a horrific situation mm-hmm. with COVID. It, it's akin to, a, to almost to a forest fire. Mm-hmm. And we're now going to start seeing the kind of the revitalization of, of new things. And it, it will ultimately, I think, make us stronger, ironically, and create a better foundation for our economy. It, it, it's an unfortunate way for it to happen, but it is, it is really, I think, setting us up for a much brighter future. And, and I would argue, uh, and I've talked about this occasionally, I lecture at Columbia Business School and, and other places, uh, and I talk about this saying that uh, in my opinion, again, it'll be interesting to see if I'm right, but I think the next 10 years, the pace of change and discovery mm-hmm. will be will exceed what's occurred from the beginning of time until today. Mm-hmm. Remember that statement. All right, we, we think we've, we've had changes, yeah. you know, because everyone's walking around with, a, with an iPhone now. Yeah. This, is, this is nothing. Wait until artificial intelligence really starts becoming more and more you know, intelligent, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and, and discoveries are made around the you know, drug discoveries and, and all these other things where, where data can be consumed in milliseconds. And, and you know, I mean, like, this is just revolutionary. So this is a really, really exciting period ahead. And at the heart of it, again, is just the, the kind of the whole change of, 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 of how we, 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 we conduct commerce and and that's largely going to become you know more and more online yeah absolutely and i think it's incredible amount of knowledge you just put out there and a, and a lot of great points i mean i think your your point there at the end about you know the the technology point that we're at now is, is nothing compared to where we're going to be in, in just a little bit i mean i think is a a really good point as well i mean i would say you know i'm youngish in, in a sense but i mean as a kid like i i didn't think that you know there would be like self-driving cars at this point and, and all these different things I, I, and it seems like everything is just happening so rapidly so it will be really interesting to see how, how those things start to develop even further and you said to, you know get more more intelligent and more built out and developed yeah and, and i think the you know you, you read a really good point in there too about you know, this is kind of a, almost a re regrowth here. And I love the analogy of the, the forest fire. And so it, it's really interesting to hear from you, especially since you, you've seen so many, I guess, different evolutions of, mm-hmm. of this space. And I really, you know, appreciate you coming on the show and, and talking about these things. And, you know, before we kind of wrap up here, I mean, what, I mean, it sounds like, you know, micro fulfillment, you're, you're fully on board, but you know, what do you think mm-hmm. is the, what do you think is the next big thing beyond that? If you, if you can share. Mm-hmm. So I think that cold storage is going to become mm. more and more important okay. as, as people buy more goods online and frozen foods and, and kind of produce. Again, the, these kind of the produce and, and the frozen food need to be stored in a certain environment. And I think you're going to see, and, and the interesting thing about what's called cold storage which you know could be ice cream, which is thirty, or let's say thirty-two below, and then you know all the way up to you know thirty-five or forty degrees. The, the biggest thing you're going to see here is that that we have a a stock of cold storage buildings in the United States which are about forty years old. Mm-hmm. 
nothing, very, very little has been built right. that is addressing this. And I believe that you're going to see uh, last mile, and believe it or not, microfilament and last mile cold storage facilities. So they'll be strictly for storing goods that need to be in that kind of environment. Yeah. And that, that to me is one of the next big changes that's going to occur in warehousing, mm. where you're going to see more of these pop up in, in, in the variety of places. So I, I'm a very big fan of, of what's called cold storage. And you're going to hear more and more about that, I think, over the next next couple of years. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and I, th- I think it's a great point. I mean, it, it makes total sense, too, as well as we see the, the shift from so many people ordering groceries online, as you mentioned, and obviously so many parts of grocery orders are need to be refrigerated or frozen as well. So it'd be yeah. really interesting to, to see that grow. So Peter, thank you so much for coming on the show today and, and sharing all this incredible knowledge with us. It was really great. Um, I learned a lot. And if people want to find out more about you or about uh, Wharton Equity Partners, how can they do that? They can go right to my website, and which is wartonequity.com. And I have a B card on there if they want to reach out to me. And they can obviously see what we're up to on the website. And I also wanted to thank you, Kevin, for having me on today. I, I think it's fantastic what you're doing because it's, it's really a very relevant topic. Mm-hmm. And there's not lots and lots of folks out there that, and I give a fair amount of interviews that, that, that kind of are presenting to the audience such an important and timely topic. So I commend you for, for, for making this happen for the benefit of everybody. Oh, thank you very much for that. Um, and yeah, yeah. I'm just trying to create awareness in the warehousing space. Obviously there's a lot going on as we talked about today. So we will put all the information for you and Wharton equity partners at the new warehouse.com. So listeners can find it very easily. So Peter, once again, thank you for your time on the show today. You've been listening to the New Warehouse Podcast with Kevin Lawton. Subscribe and check us out online at thenewwarehouse.com. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want more content from the New Warehouse, check out our new video series called All Hands on LinkedIn. Just search for the New Warehouse on LinkedIn and follow along.